Pastor Ed Taylor with some important questions for us to ask ourselves in times like these. In this last year or so, year and a half, how many people have seen your life and asked you why you're so different? How many have asked you, man, everybody's freaking out about this, but you're not. How many have looked you in the eye and go, man, what's the deal with you? I don't understand it. Aren't you afraid? Aren't you concerned? Aren't you, I know that the reputation of the Christian church here is up in arms and we're going to pros, we're going to all, why don't you get involved in that? What's your church doing about it? Who's asked you that lately? Or let me ask you this. As you process and you go, I don't know, not too many. Okay, so let me ask you this. Why haven't they asked you? Why are you living your life in such a way that provokes people to see something different in you? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You You know, whether we realize it or not, we are an influence on those around us, and there are plenty of bad influences in the world as we know it. But today on Abounding Grace, we'd like to encourage you to be a good influence. And Pastor Ed Taylor believes that's especially needed in tough times like these. Can the world see your faith in Jesus right now? Let's thoroughly consider that as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away, verse 11, from evil and do good. I mean, there's a conscious, when you're surrounded with evil, you're in a culture of evil, you've got to consciously choose to turn away from it and still do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, even in the midst of your trial. Get that. Even in the midst of your pain right now, what you're experiencing, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And his ears are open to your prayers. And the face, though, notice, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That makes sense. We agree with that. That, that, that God, he resists evil. He doesn't want anything to do with it. But, but understand this. If you return evil for evil, now you are in that category and God's face is against you. You go, but Ed, I'm saved. I'm so, yeah, but you are grieving the Holy Spirit and not enjoying. You're living in disobedience. And you're going to suffer the consequences of disobedience. For what? An opinion? For some passionate thought? Look, anytime we take the route of the gospel, God will bless that. And it will provoke a watching world. Because whether you realize it or not, the world is watching. You and me and us. And the world will watch long after this trial passes in any other trial, any other difficulty. I don't foresee, just as a pastor, fellow believer, I don't foresee things getting much easier. I see them becoming much more challenging. I see more challenges up ahead for us as a believer, for us as a church, for us in our homes and our families. But challenges are met by the power of God. Don't you believe in the power of God, church? Don't you believe that he is greater? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask? 
that God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose, that this present trial doesn't compare to the eternal glory that God will reveal in us. I mean, God is faithful, church. We limit him when we forget how powerful he is. I mean, we don't limit him in the sense he's always going to be eternal God, but we limit our ability to enjoy and to access the power of God in our lives when we live like there is no God, when we live like he isn't sovereign, when we live like we don't trust him, when we're all fearful and we're all hiding, and then we're like, well, let's fight, let's fight, let's get everything back that's been taken away. How about this? How about you just humble yourself and let God use you in your current situation? He knows what he's doing and what he's allowed into your life. And it's the influence of the church that's lost when we get our eyes off the Lord, even for good things. You know, I taught my kids this. I actually learned this on an episode of Adventures and Odyssey once with our kids. And they did a great episode on it. And one of the things I taught them is that you can do the right thing the wrong way. Wow. You can do the wrong thing in the wrong way, but you can also do the right thing. You have the right motives, but you do it, you apply it wrong. You have the right goal, but you do it wrong and you blow the witness of the church. Uh, again, the, the world's not gonna like the church, not gonna hug the church, not gonna embrace the church, we know that. But we don't have to behave in such a way where we give them reason to no longer care about the influence of God on the earth today. I mean, of course, of course, the church and the message of the gospel is an affront to our culture. Of course, it was an affront to you and to me, but only so that it might get our attention and we can see our great need for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. We can make it worse. You were called to this. Notice verse 13 now. He says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's a great question. But it's kind of like, don't misunderstand it. Like, just because you've chosen to follow what is good, like, nobody's going to want to harm you anymore. That's not what he's saying. It's like Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, a lot of people can be against us. So that's not the point he's making. The point he's making is that when God is on your side, it's going to be okay. Like, if you choose to follow good, but Ed, it's so hard. And Ed, they're stealing our freedoms. And Ed, they're doing this. And Ed, they're making me do that. And Ed, Pastor, Pastor. Like, okay, so when you choose to do what is good, how is that going to harm you? You've aligned yourself with God. Yeah, but Ed, they're still, yeah, they're still doing. And you can make it harder or you can make it easier by your choices. But it's actually not about us. When we were saved, we surrendered our, all our rights and privileges to God willingly and openly. So it's actually not about us. Notice he says in verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. So you've chosen to do good. Most people won't want to harm you. You know, most people leave good people alone, but there will be people that are offended. They'll, they'll hurt you. They'll suffer for righteousness sake. Mark those words. If you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. That is the blessed position of the believer when you and I suffer for righteousness' sake. Even if you do, you are blessed. And don't be afraid. I love how he ties fear in. That's why it really goes well with our study last time. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Just continue to be the church. They'll be threatening you, be the church. They'll wanna make you afraid, be the church. 
They, they want to get you off your game and off your bounce. No, you just continue to live your life as unto the Lord. Verse 15 now. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now this passage is often a passage that's referred to as the beginning of a ministry known as apologetics. Why? Because the word here, defense, is the Greek word apologia. It's translated into the English uh, as apologetics. It means to give a defense for the faith. It speaks of those that love to answer Bible questions, love to answer doctrinal false teachers, and apologetics is a significant ministry in the body of Christ today. However, that is not the context of this verse. The context of this verse is not to establish an apologetics ministry. The context of this verse is written to people that are under great, severe pressure and trial and tribulation and difficulty. They're having problems with each other, but they're also having problems that were instituted from a government entity. And because of the government on which they live, they're suffering and they're going through it. And so Paul says, hey, in all of this, choose to do good. Don't return evil for evil. Submit yourself. Stay in unity. Be the church. Fight for one another. Care for one another. Love one another. Be humble. Oh, and by the way, by the way, set God apart in your life for people that see your life and ask you a question. It really comes out in the new living. Listen to what it says. It says, instead, this is verse 15, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. In the context of trials, where everyone is going through this, not just you, believer and unbeliever alike have suffered this year. Believer and unbeliever alike have, re, have experienced restrictions and difficulties. They've listened to all everyone's opinions and narratives. They've got this doctor saying this and that doctor saying that and this over here and they live over here and they have to deal with this. Everyone, believer and unbeliever, have had to endure the things that we've had to endure. Everyone, all of us, collectively. However, believers are in a unique place unlike anyone else because they trust God in difficult times. And we may not have all the answers and we may not know who to believe, but we do know this. If we pray and ask for wisdom, God says he'll give it to us. He will lead us and guide us. So let me ask you a question. And this will be very challenging for many of you, and I know, but it's okay, it needs to be. And that includes you guys online and on the radio right now. Like this is God's appointment. Let me ask you a question. In this last year or so, year and a half, how many people have seen your life and asked you why you're so different? How many have asked you, man, everybody's freaking out about this, but you're not. How many have looked you in the eye and go, man, what's the deal with you? I don't understand it. Aren't you afraid? Aren't you concerned? Aren't you, I know that the reputation of the Christian church here is up in arms and we're going to pros we're going to, why don't you get involved in that? What's your church doing about it? Who's asked you that lately? Or let me ask you this. As you process and you go, I don't know, not too many. Okay, so let me ask you this. Why haven't they asked you? Why are you living your life in such a way that provokes people to see something different in you? To see a true I was talking as I was greeting earlier, I was just thinking of this, like in all the years I've been alive, this is the only time in my entire life I've experienced something like this. And I don't want to waste it. 
I don't want to experience it again, but I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste this monumental global trial. Oh, listen, I, I know the Bible. I teach the Bible all the way through. We went through Daniel Revelation. I know we're in the end times. I know the things we're seeing are prepping us and preparing the world, not us as believers necessarily, but the world to, to fall in line with exactly what the Bible describes as coming in the last days, one world government, antichrist, one world currency. I get it. I know it. I understand. But there are far more things, there are things that are far more important than just watching prophecy unfold. And it's this, the souls of men and women and boys and girls, that God's going to get people's attention through all of this. And, you know, we teach through the Bible, so we don't shy away from all that. You can listen to our studies. I just did it in Daniel. Uh, I just did a, a whole series on understanding the times on our midweek Bible study. And we stopped and just really nailed down in a relevant way in our current culture what's going on in the world today. But you, you think you're going to stop that? Do you think you're going to stop the will of God? It is the will of God for Jesus to return for his church. That is God's will. And it is equally God's will for us to be the church and bring people to a saving faith. So who's asked you lately? Who's asked you lately? I mean, maybe what you need to do today is you need to go back on your social media platform and you need to ask for forgiveness for all the stuff you've been posting and start getting back to the gospel, getting back to what's important. Maybe in all those emails you've been forwarding and sending around, maybe it's time you send one more email out. You know how to do it. Send one more out and say, please forgive me. I've been off track and I've been leading you down a path that really hasn't led you to what's important. And let me tell you what's important. What's important to me is your soul. And I love you as a Christian. Man, I care about you. Only repentance is going to get you out of this. Or we're going to watch, we're going to watch an open opportunity just pass us by as a church, individually and corporately. He says that we need to live our lives in such a way as worshiping Christ as Lord of your life. So what does that look like? What is worshiping Christ as Lord? What does that look like practically? Well, a friend now, a pastor friend of mine, he did a survey with his staff and a few people in his church asking that question. And they came up with, you know, 10 or 15 answers. And so I, I'm going to read that to you. I, took, I just took it from him. And then I texted him yesterday, thanks for all the work you did. I'm going to share it with our church this week. And he said, fine. So I want to give you some things. You might be asking, what, is, what, is, what makes the church different than the world? What is it that people see? And experience. Let me go through a few things. Number one, we inconvenience ourselves for the sake of others. We sacrifice without hoping to gain anything personally. We offer tangible help to those who are in need, whether it be money, shelter, clothing, transportation, and we expect nothing in return. We offer everyday kindness by just being plain nice. We go the extra mile with someone that we know will not make it to where they need to be without someone to help them. We pray for those who treat us like enemies and we seek to bless them. We make, other, we make other people's problems our problems by getting involved and invested in their lives. We humble ourselves in front of others and choose to build them up. We have integrity standing for what is right, whether it's popular or not, without regard for politics, popular culture, or social shaming. We pay our bills and don't look for ways out of it, even when it's difficult. We don't kick people when they're down. 
We don't label people so that we don't need to love them anymore. We aren't prejudiced against anyone that's different than us. We don't participate in gossip, tearing down someone behind their back. We don't retaliate when we're wronged. We don't carry grudges. We don't blame the world and everyone else for our own faults. And we don't expect others to carry the burdens that God has intended for us to carry. And let me just say, when the watching world sees these types of things in us, they naturally are drawn to ask, what's the deal with you? What's the deal with your life? I've never seen anything like it. I've met a lot of Christians, but you're different. And they ask you, why? You can see how easy it is to get caught up in things. I mean, people will engage you still. They'll engage you on politics. They'll engage you in your opinions. They'll engage you of whatever you've been reading late recently or whatever video you want. They'll be able to engage, but they're not asking the real important question. You can talk about a lot of things and never get to the root of what the issue is in someone's life, and that's their sin. So you can be involved in a lot of things and even call it Christian work and Christian, you can call it Christian all you want, but if it's not leading people to find out what it is about your life, then perhaps we have to ask ourselves, am I living any different than the world? Because if I am, then I'm in a state of disobedience. And my conscience can't possibly be clean and clear. Notice he says in verse 16, having a good conscience. You can't buy a good conscience. You can't make a good conscience. You can't borrow a good conscience. You can just have one. You can just have one. How? By following through on all just a few of the things that Peter just wrote. By living a life that's in the light and not in darkness. You can live with a good conscience. You can have a good conscience. You're not sneaking around. You're not lying. You don't have anything in your private life that if revealed would embarrass you or the Lord when accusations come against you, they can't possibly be true. You won't freak out and worry about them because they're not true. And you can continue to live your life in honor with God. I mean, take it from someone who before he was saved, man, my conscience was always troubled because I was always doing something wrong. I was always hurting, I, could, I, I hurt so many people and sinned so much I couldn't even remember it all and it troubled me. I, I wasn't able to get, I wasn't able to live with a peace of mind because my conscience was always violated by my behavior. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can stand before you today and tell you eye to eye, my conscience is clear. There is nothing hidden in my life. There's nothing that wouldn't, can't be revealed that, that isn't, is going to just shock anyone. Uh, there isn't anything that I'm trying to pull over on anyone. And it's not because I'm a perfect, you know, don't misunderstand that word, that phrase. That clean conscience doesn't mean you're a perfect person. Doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. And I certainly can't stand before you that way. But I can say this, if on my pillow was stitched clean conscience, I can put my head down on that pillow every night and know that my life is right with God. And there's nothing that doesn't need to be dealt with that hasn't been dealt with in my life. That's how you live in a world that's just upside down chaotic. You live in the light as he is in the light. And then we have fellowship with one another. Because notice, why is a good conscience so needed? This, look, look at verse 16 and we'll head out. Almost head out. That when they defame you as evildoers, 
So here you are suffering. Here you are in great trial. Here you are choosing to do good. Here you are living with a clean conscience. So that all of that, they turn against you and say, you're the evildoer. Church, the church is wicked and evil and doesn't do anything good for society. Sound familiar? Not needed, not essential. That's the reputation. And so here we are. They defame you as evildoers. Why? Because in the last days, the Bible says that what is good will be called evil and evil will be called good. So you live with a clean conscience so that when they defame you as the evildoers, those who revile your good, you've got to have good conduct, your good conduct in Christ, they might be ashamed. And, and this is the kicker, verse 17. Some of you aren't going to like this at all. But listen, it is better. You ready? It is better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So you're going to suffer, church. And it is better. It is better. It is better to suffer for doing good in Christ than for doing evil. You don't want to suffer for doing evil. You know, some people, they do evil and they go, oh, I can't believe it. Look what you've done to me. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm suffering for Christ. Actually, no, you're not suffering for Christ at all. You just made a really stupid, sinful decision that you're paying for. It's called consequences. You don't want to sow to the flesh because you're going to reap corruption. We want to learn to live lives sowing in the spirit so that we can reap everlasting life. But don't misunderstand. Just because you've chosen to do good doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. But it's better when you suffer to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when you finally come to terms with the reality of where you are in life, as the trial has revealed your heart to yourself, right? We often blame the trial for the things that get revealed in our lives. You know, I would have never been this mad. I would have never been this angry if I didn't face this trial. Actually, that's not true. That's all been in your heart, and the trial just revealed it. Now you see it for what it is, and you can deal a death blow to it by repenting and humbling yourself before God. You can't blame the trial. You can't blame the government. You can't blame them. You can't blame your parents. You can't. It's you and the Lord, and it's your personal walk. It's you. If God be for us, then who can be against us? The church cannot be stopped. Ever. Never. And so you see, when you face your fears, you automatically are reminded that you have a responsibility to influence your world. It's your choice. You go the route that God would have you to be, but I will continue as a pastor, as a friend, point you to that laser focus, keep your eyes on the Lord, love your neighbors, yourself, as you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and he will use you in the transformation of lives, families, neighborhoods, cities, countries, even the world, a worldwide revival. If, if a worldwide pandemic can take place, don't you think a worldwide revival can take place? The gospel can take off. People can deal with the real infection that's in people's lives and the real issues that need attention from him. Amen. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and a message called Influencing Your World. This week, we've been sharing a two-part miniseries geared to help you face your fears and be a good influence as the pandemic is winding down. 
If you'd like to hear it again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. You might also want to share it with someone who could use the encouragement. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or listen through our mobile app, Depression. If you've not experienced it yourself, I'm sure you know of someone who has. And yes, even Christians struggle with depression. We want to share an excellent book on the subject called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, written by Edward T. Welch. We'll gladly send you a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can now order resources like this online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Please also remember it is your financial support that helps us do what we do here at Abounding Grace on this station and many others like it. You can make a secure donation online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Have you been blessed by this ministry? If so, we want to hear about it. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor returns to his study of Hebrews. We'll pick up where we left off in Chapter 11. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 